2: Hello and welcome to this week's podcast Upstairs, Downstairs in an Irish Country House I'm Morris O'Keefe and this week we take a step back in time to when the Irish landscape was dotted with large country estates and the ruins of its domains and woodlands can still be seen and many of the houses that have survived have taken on a whole new life but Without the butler, footman, housekeeper, cook, and gardener. And in the past no big house could function without the servants. And in this podcast you will
3: hear voices from Art Gillen Castle in North County Dublin. What do you see there were lots of coal fires and plenty of servants to run around and light fires?
4: A power bate. And then you, you had a written different out in the morning, so yeah.
2: Gloucester House in County Offaly.
5: Sure all rang the bell in the morning, I hear. It, look.
6: it was a pink dress, and it actually came down to there.
7: Six stockings had to be worn.
2: Barr Castle in County Offaly.
7: Front door bell only rang downstairs.
8: You'd always meet the people at the door. They would never answer the door.
2: Adair Manor in West Limerick.
9: Staff and Butler's footman were never meant to uh, smile
10: or laugh. We were there as caddies carrying the, the cartridge
2: bags. So let's get started. Our Gillen Castle and Domain is situated in North County, Dublin. It was built in the 18th century by Reverend Robert Taylor. And the house remained in the Taylor family until 1962. Turns Taylor is the last in the line of the Taylors to have lived
3: in Argyllan Castle. There was a a millstone around a lot of Taylor families next for hundreds of years. Um, What do you mean? (laughs) It took a lot of money to run it, and there wasn't enough land there really to to finance a a big castle like that. And, you know, run as a gentleman's residence, that's a a very expensive way of doing things. (laughs) Uh, there was let me see now there was uh, my father's great uncle Dick General Sir Richard Taylor uh, his brother owned the place and uncle Dick was in the Crimea and uh, the Indian Mutiny and stuff and he used to ride home uh, maybe a couple of times a week to his mother his brother And his sister, Mm -hmm. and we have all those letters that have been copied into an exercise book. You know, telling him what what was going on. That's interesting, isn't it? It is very interesting. Like we haven't got the originals. I mean, they'd be scrappy bits of paper, written in the wet in the tent or something. You know. Mm -hmm.
2: And what was he writing home about?
3: Uh, Just about what was going on uh, with the war and um, how things, inquiring how things were getting on at home. planting trees and building walls and stuff around the place, generally <laughs> developing the place <laughs> so it would need more money to run. <laughs> and Terence's father, Richard, didn't inherit our Gillan Castle until 1939. Yeah, well, he was, <clears throat> say, educated in London mostly. The family had a house there and moved to Singapore and came back just before the war. Otherwise he would have been killed, no messing, because he was in the Royal Naval Volunteer Reserve out there and all my father's friends got killed by the Japanese. Um, He knew the place a bit. He used to go there on holidays before the war, before the 30s when he was quite young. Um,
2: And at this stage, where was he living? Where was the... the, Oh, when he moved
3: into Gillen in 1939.
2: And then after he inherited it from his uncle.
3: Yeah, Mm. So, you "No, know, inherited a whole lot—servants, furniture, a lot—and I think a few cattle and stuff." Mark Daly was a herdsman, and he worked moving around from one
2: country estate to another in North County Dublin. His daughter Josie joined the domestic staff in Argyllan Castle as a parlour maid.
4: We were in different places. My father was a herd, a Julianstown. And he'd be in different places. We were in Gormonstown for a while. And I went to school in Stamullen.
2: And where did the family move to then?
4: We moved up to a place called Towny Hall. And, who? and he got a job there, you know. With who? Lady Balfour.
2: Have you any memories of that place?
4: She had staff. And workmen. Oh, there was a big l- 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 land. If you go down to um, the Slane Road, the back way, you know, all the, the runs for miles. They like nearly the obelisk D- bridge, if you ever had
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. And your father was, was the herdsman there. Yeah, he?
4: milking cows and the cattle and that.
2: And did you live on on the grounds?
4: We lived in a lodge. Yeah. On the grounds. Yeah.
2: And what what are your earliest memories of that place?
4: Uh, we used to be kicking football. <laughs> 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 the with, with people, children, yeah.
2: And did you, were you ever in the house itself?
4: The big house, just a uh, when. They'll be bringing down the milk with my father. I'll go in and have a chat with the cook. You, know?
2: you joined the domestic staff here in Ardgillen?
4: Yeah. I suppose if it was 17 or 18, I don't forget now which.
2: Can you remember your being interviewed for that job?
4: Yeah, I think they'd come down to the house to, uh, you know, to talk to me in Julianstown. And they said, start some, such, such a play time, yeah.
2: And what was your first impression when you walked in the gates uh, of the house? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't
4: know. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. there's there was a cook there, and she was friendly, you know, like.
2: What was her name?
4: Um, Mary something, you know. You can't think of her other name. She was yeah. from Kildare. Yeah. And then she left, and another another woman. She's dead now. Lord a Miss Kennedy. She was a cook in England for the like the, the royal family or something like that. She was there a good few years, and then she retired. And then a woman, come uh, and she had her son, and she did and cooking, you know, uh, Mrs McKenna.
2: And where was she from?
4: She was from uh, Galway.
2: What job had you when you went in first?
4: A, a parlor of eight. we quite And then you, you had a written different rig out in the morning, so yeah. And
2: yeah. uh, what was your jobs?
4: Jobs setting the table, doing the dining room. Dustin. What was he
2: like the um Terence's father?
4: He was a very nice man.
2: what was his first name? Richard. Yeah. Yeah. And was he strict or was he you
4: know No, he wasn't strict, you know. Yeah. You got to, we got on well with him, you know, like he'd come down and chat, you know. Few things he'd say tell, tell us, yeah. And she, she was very lady-like. Uh, she wouldn't s- say a word to anyone, you know. And you'd always hear her coming, humming. You know, she was humming, and you know, like... And you knew she was on the... She wrote ru- 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 to McMean, over a slate, what they wanted or whatever. Yeah, and way they wanted it.
2: And did they have guests and parties? Oh,
4: yeah, y- no, no parties, yeah. yeah. loan parties. They'd have guests in for mm. dinner and maybe some people in for tea, you know.
3: Mm.
4: that They used to have tea in the afternoon, about half three or four.
3: And dining room was a lovely room with um, a lot of pictures around the place and um, oak panelling. It was done by some Italians, I think it was, who had done the panelling at Hampton Hall. In, is it Hampton Hall in London? Um, yeah, a cold old place. Was, uh, before the war, you see, there were lots of coal fires and plenty of servants to run around and light fires. Yes. <laughs> I remember my bedroom beside the front tower, the carpet lifting off the floor with the drafts. <laughs> it was that cold oh, the drawing.
4: dining room was a big big table you. Know, we, you uh, the, every May they used to have cattle in the horse or, 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 or show the, you know the show in, in Maspour- the R- 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 RDS S- yeah. Yeah, and invite a lot of them 17 or something and uh, you let out the table and another table and set it. And it used to be lovely to when little people set it out. Oh the linen and Yeah, the, the and all placemats. the things, yeah, yeah, placemats and everything, yeah. And glasses and everything.
2: And the silver.
4: And the silver, yeah.
2: Who polished the silver?
4: I did. Yeah.
2: Was that a good job? I mean it, it it's was all right.
4: If it was a butler there now he it would be his job. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mr. Taylor, did he farm the land there? It
4: was, uh, they farmed the land, yeah. And then they had the dairy. And there was staff in the dairy, yeah. four of them. And then there was three or four on the farm. And then the, the, the other men got too old and he didn't replace them, you know. Yeah. It was two of them. What?
2: And so, and I had
4: a gardener, two gardeners, you know.
2: Uh, who, can you recall who the gardener's name? Who oh, were?
4: Michael Leonard. He was a neighbour here, yeah. and uh, Ned Daly. Yeah, he lived in one of these houses.
3: My mother was knew a bit about livestock, quite a good span, a judge of livestock. She saw her ran the dairy. And father sort of run the rest of the place. Uh, the only place that really paid was a walled garden. Two gardeners there and about four acres of um, fruit trees. Um, you know, old-fashioned apple trees. <laughs> they were either eating apples or cooking apples. <laughs> right. yeah. And I had a lot of plums and stuff. Not very good commercial ones. The shelf life wasn't great. But uh, the big walled garden is still there, and the greenhouse, and used to grow the hot tomatoes and stuff. Um, my father used to head off for Belbrigan, sorry, to Dublin every Thursday with a trailer load of produce behind the car, sell them in a Dublin uh, vegetable market. Gloucester House in County Offaly
2: was built for the Lyde family in the early 18th century. And it remained in the family until General Brigadier Lyde sold the estate to an order of nuns in 1958. The estate was sold again in 1992 and it changed ownership a few times until the present owner, Tom Alexander, bought the estate in 2001. And at that stage it needed a lot of restoration to bring it back to its former glory.
11: We had been looking for um, an early 18th century house for many years. And uh, in 1919, 19, no, it was 2000, in fact, we suddenly came across uh, Gloucester House. And when we saw it advertised first, we thought, well, wow, this is a beautiful house. And not only is it a beautiful house, but it comes with beautiful gardens. Um, w- we... The ultimate. Our, our ultimate was to find a house that needed restoration. We always wanted to put our own signature on an old house. We'd done this a few times before, but I have to say now this is a quantum leap um, from what we had done before. And
2: and being here now, do you feel that you're
11: walking on the
2: footsteps of, of of all those people that came before you here, and do you feel you're surrounded by history?
11: Very much so. I every time i went to the one of the rooms in the front i always think god uh, general lloyd was walking around here all the time and and then his then laterally then his nephew major lloyd but i i'm always thinking of their presence in uh, what would they've been doing here and
6: well it was general lloyd who owned the place and he had a friend called major lakin in Hortown house fox mills county wexford who was a friend of the owner of the estate where I was born and reared in Wexford.
2: Maura White's parents worked for Major Lakin in Hotown House in County Wexford and at the age of 14 she was offered a job in Gloucester House.
6: Now I became 14, finished school, I was sent to work at 14 and that's how I come to be here.
2: And when you were 14, did you look for a, a big house to work in, or...?
6: No, it was actually got
2: for me. And who got... who got Major it? Lakin. Did he? Yeah. Yes, yeah. He was a friend of the generals. So he said, look, there's a job up there for you.
6: Yeah, uh, to my father. Yeah. And the arrangement was made that I came on the 4th of August, 1950.
2: 1950. And on that day... Um, you came not to Gloucester's house. But what was it called then?
6: Glasterymore Moor House, Brosna, uh, Kings County. Bor hadn't been added to it.
2: And when you met General Light at the at the door, uh, or did you, who greeted you when you first came?
6: Uh, the chauffeur met me at Cray Station. Mr Manning was his name. We learned after his name was Ned Manning, but he was Mr Manning. And uh, he met me and he took me here in a car, and I was brought in and introduced to the cook, who had tea ready at the kitchen table for me.
2: The person who was looking after you—what wh- was her name?
6: Her name was Mrs. Simpson because she was the cook, but she didn't allow herself to be called Mrs. Simpson. She was from England, and as was the butler, she had to be called Miss Simpson because we weren't too far back from the abdication of the, the king, and he had gone off with Mrs. Simpson. So she didn't want to be associated with that name whatsoever. So she insisted that everyone call her Miss Simpson. But you asked me, uh, did I meet the general? I was six months before I saw a tall gentleman cross the courtyard one day. And I asked the cook, Who was the man? Like there was, And she looked at me, oh, that's the general. And I was six months in the place at the time, but I had never seen my employer.
2: Were you wearing a uniform or? A I clothes? was.
6: It was terrible. It was a pink dress, and it actually came down to there. Silk stockings had to be worn. You couldn't couldn't go on your bare legs at fourteen. No, well, I was going fifteen now. At this stage, you know, uh, silk stockings, pink dress, white apron, and then you had a navy blue thing over it because to keep the white one clean, and your famous hat on your head the aga here is in the exact spot that the aga was in except that there was a big covering on it you know it was, in, it was this, in in yeah. an archway tiled and all at the back my job when I came down first thing in the morning at 7 o'clock I used to come down I had to stoke that, rake it and stoke it and the kettle would be nearly boiling from night, and then I had to make tea by 7 o'clock and take it up and call the cook with the tea at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, But I would have done that, and by the time she came down, she would come to cook breakfasts and all that. By the time she came down, I had to have the floor washed out. Now, you're talking about 7 in the morning. This side of it it was a flagged floor at the far side my side was the flagged floor so until after breakfast you didn't do the flagged floor because crumbs and different things went to it but I did it in the afternoon and there was a huge big brass bi- a copper boiler up there for the water a huge one that had to be brass brassoed every day now somebody would come and lay their hand on it like that and say oh the water's cold today and then some, she would come or somebody would say, that wasn't clean today. And it would be after doing it, and it, oh, tears would come to your eyes sometimes and you couldn't say, it. no, it was done, because mark of a hand on it. You put your hand on there were brass switches. You put your hand on the switch and you have a light immediately. We had a big engine up in the yard and it created electricity. You see, there was a head gardener who came in every morning and saw what you wanted. Sometimes I couldn't make out on the menu what was wanted from the garden. And he would look at it. But uh, he was fabulous. He used to know exactly what you wanted. And then when all the fruits that were in season, he would bring them in. Flowers, whatever was wanted from the garden, he would take them in.
2: Paddy Gorman was the head gardener in Gloucester House and it's her
5: generation of his family to work there. That time the bell rang. There was a bell there in the tree outside. Yeah. It was down there. was a big ash tree there and the bell was erected yeah. in that. The, the yeah. steward rang the bell in the morning. Yeah, so. You and to, you had to report th- it. You had to be here at that time. <laughs> oh, yes. So sure there were a lot of men working here at the time. There were over 20 men working here at that time. Like. Everyone had their own job, like, you know. We said there was three men in the garden and there was three men out on the farm and there was three men up in the woods, full-time, like, you know. And then there was two men out on the front, on the grounds here. That's where I started first. They were promoted into the garden, then. Mm. And everyone had their own job. There was an electrician, there was a carpenter and there was a mason and he had a mate with him, like, you know. Everyone had their own job, like...
2: Were you working here when your father was still working here?
5: No. My father got into ill health and my brother came here then, took his place. And, and then I came on when I was left school. and I started here around 16 years of age. And I came in here first.
2: And what was your first experience? Uh, who did you meet? And
5: well, um, the steward of the first man you'd met, like, you know.
2: Mr. O'Connor. Yeah,
5: Mr. O'Connor. And then my job was out on the front with another man looking after the grounds. That's where I started. Spent four years out on the grounds. You know, can vacancy came here in the garden. And I was promoted in here.
2: And the 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 work in the grounds uh, was that looking after the flowers. Oh, uh, looking
5: after the flowers and more oh, and more and, and doing all the pets. There's an awful lot of pets out there, like, You know, more than you think. I and mean, they all had to be looked after. And down at the the lake, there was a pat all around that, that had to be maintained. Mm. Uh, was that weeding taking weeding, weeds off? that's there? right, weeding, yes. Yeah. And that all had to be done by hand. There was no weed killers or anything <laughs> times. you know. It was all done by hand. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, we, we can got hear, a walking tail, like. We can hear the peacocks today. Were there peacocks in your time? Uh, no, 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 that <laughs> no. It was a- when I came here now, you see that's, the, main, that's the, the gate coming in off of Davna. Well, there was a big hedge here. About 15 feet high going all up along there and there's another one at the other side and there was a walk up the middle of it and right at the end of it there was a greenhouse that so we used to call it the house that's where we grew the tomatoes it was a glass house yeah and all along the wall there there was a winery you see the big wall up here that was yeah. the winery you grew vines and peaches and everything there and that and and it was all out in in plots not like now like it was all in in plots uh, you know, where, was, where
2: you would have had cabbage where, in one yeah, section Yeah, and in so.
5: another and you'd have carrots and parsnips and lettuce and all that and in one section there was all fruit trees you'd have apple trees and you'd have uh, black corns and raspberries and all that kind of thing yeah. you know.
2: So down there at the end of the garden now yeah. there's a big high wall was that, was that part of the walled garden? Oh that's
5: the walled garden there's, a, there's an Irish acre in it <laughs>
2: Exactly one, in, acre, in one acre in it. One acre in it. And
5: that had to be had to be dug in my hand time with the spades. 1st there was no machinery then you dug it but with a spade, you dug it in the winter time and you had it ready then for the spring. you went out then and you forked it up like and you saw your crops then in the spring. Yeah. All so, the plots had to be dug by hand.
2: So for most of your life this is where you were?
5: Well, all about the four years I was out on the grounds. Yeah. I spent the rest of my time here. My goodness, yeah. Mm. Um. A little over 52 or 3 years.
6: Now we're coming through into the hall. Now, there's the two big heater, or the covers over the heaters. Now, there would be all portraits of the Lloyd family hung right around about there. And the general himself hung there. I remember that. Now you can see the ones that didn't the busts that they didn't get at to take down
5: up high here up high
6: yeah now this is you're coming into the library I was this is where I was brought one day to see Major Lake and the man who got me the job sent me here and he called to see how I was and he was stood by the fireplace there and the general sat there and I came in the door the, the William came with me the the butler. He stood behind me and I honestly didn't now I knew Major Lakin, I knew him from I knew him from a child, but because it was so intimidating the boss there that, that I didn't know and this big huge man standing there and all these lovely books yes, yes. this is where the general would have sat. This was more, more more of a sitting room for him, I suppose it's where he would have sat the fire was lighting like an There was another chair there, so I'm sure the Major was sitting in it.
2: William O'Connor was the butler in Gloucester House for many years. His father was the groom for General Brigadier Lloyd, and he explains here that his family had worked for another big house before moving to Gloucester Estate. It
8: was part of the Sharavog Estate, Hastings,
2: Hastings, yeah. yes, uh,
8: ha- Huntingtons and Hastings. That was another big house, which is more or less demolished now. And was your father working there? No, my father worked here. Yeah, he was. My father was the groom here, so he brought me to work here.
2: Oh, I see.
5: As yes, yeah.
8: Footman. I always came. In the afternoon, you would collect, in. back in them days, you'd have to collect the papers. And I'd bring the papers, and he'd be sitting there on a nice summer's day waiting to get the paper.
2: Was this the general? or The was general, it? Yeah.
8: yes. And the first page he would go to would be the business pa- page. And oh. then his nephew came along after, and I brought him the paper for a while and the first page he would go to would be Curly Wee and Goosey Goosey
2: Did you notice that the maybe the, the general was a very articulate type man He was man, very was
8: military type man mm-hmm. very military type Yeah. yeah. yes, he, he served in the first world war and then he was getting on in years of course he volunteered for the second world war but they wouldn't take him on he was too old he was presented with the DSO. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, he had a lot of horses shot under him. Yes. Oh, he was.
2: So he was in he, the cavalry uh, Yes, he was. Country, side, he huh?
8: was. Yeah. You see, this is where he got all his horse and polo from. He eager for the horses all the time. Yeah. But uh, he, he was, for bravery, you know, he was highly recommended for his bravery during the war.
2: William's father, who looked after the General's horses, used to play polo with the General and travel to many of the competitions. He used to play polo with General Lyde.
5: Oh did he?
8: practice. Yeah. He captained the polo team that they took to America. America. And where was the, the polo uh, field, where did they play? Oh, they practiced up here. There's still name. It's still called the Polo
2: Crown. Well, it's great to have these old photographs because they kind of bring you back to that time. And here is a photograph, a beautifully furnished out room. This Was this the main the, dining room? No, that's the drawing the room. The drawing room. That's the drawing room, yes. And do you remember yeah. it as it is there in the picture? Uh, yes, I do. Yes. Yes. No, I can see all the silver in the little cabinet here. Yeah, yes, So was it your job to yeah, polish yes. that every... Yeah, how yeah. often would you do it? Well, you'd, if it was
8: open, not in the glass case, you'd have to dust it every day, chamois, or you were chamois, it, is what we used to do. But, of course, probably once a month, when it would be enclosed in the
5: What glass
8: about ca- the
2: brass fire fender? Oh, the
8: brass, the maids done the brass... They were
2: done every week. In 1951, William O'Connor left Gloucester House and two years later he moved to Barcastle, Castle and he travelled with Lord and Lady Ross to London to look after their house there. I went to Barcastle Castle in fifty-three, and
8: I was a year at home before I went to Barcastle. Castle. 53, met 51. I left here in 51. In 51. Yeah, and I was here nine years. So now you
2: can count that up. Right, OK. Yeah. Uh, so when you finally got over to Burghastle, um, uh, you applied for a job there, did you? No, they came looking for me.
8: Did they? Yes. Because at that time... I hadn't intended going back into this type of work Yeah Only they came and persuaded me And their chauffeur got around me to go I used to go to England with them Yeah I was there for the coronation The present queen Were you? Oh yes, yeah Yeah In 53 that was I remember Lady Ross and her tiara Very expensive tiaras I had to polish them up and get them ready for the job
2: Uh, look, we'll walk across this. Yeah, way, yeah. yeah. And uh, so she was looking her best, and oh my God, she was looking her best. Yeah, she always looked her best.
8: <laughs> he <laughs> did, yeah.
2: Burr Castle and estates was inherited by Brendan Parsons, the seventh Earl of Ross, and he talks here about his inheritance. All of this was someday going to be yours, because you were going to inherit the title from your father. So when you were traveling around the world, I mean, you saw a day when you would come back here again. Um, I didn't sort of always
1: see it. One knew at the back of one's mind the day would come when Burr would finally be my responsibility. And I saw it much more as my responsibility than something that was coming into my ownership. When I did inherit it, it was a marvellous thing in a way to inherit, but it came with an awful lot of problems, including massive overdrafts and bank borrowings and crises of every sort, because I was not aware of how financially difficult it was to support not just a castle like this, but a, an estate of a certain size with huge problems and complexities and problems of all sorts.
2: You had the butlers. You had the footman. all the uh, the footman, the, uh, Ed, the like, maids. The
7: yes, everything. No, was w- at one one remove. Um, it, w-
1: it was the butler's job, yes, to open the Willie Connors, who you know, um, whose job it was to open the door and usher them into the hall, no further actually, than the hall.
7: This is quite funny because when we came back, the front door bell only rang downstairs, and so if the front door bell rang and we were here or in the library, we couldn't. Hear it. So the fir- one of the first things we did was to get the bell made so that it actually rang in the hall as well as downstairs. Mm.
1: And the original telephone here, for instance, was only in a tiny v- wooden vestibule between the dining room and the morning room to which the gentleman used to repair after long lunches or dinners and w- was was there to be answered by the butler or by the footman Usually with a message, um, if guests were enjoying it so long of a lunch, were late for the train back, they used to get the butler to call the station to keep the train for the castle guests. Extraordinary.
7: (laughs) Amazing. There isn't even a station here.
2: How many domestic staff, uh, what numbers of staff were working in the house? Oh, there was a lovely
1: whole world... um, of the butler and either one or two footmen. Originally, there were there were two footmen and a driver um, in the, in a the, because neither of my parents could drive at all. Um, and then there was a housekeeper who had a world of her own with the butler between the stairs, and a cook and a pastry cook, and and my mother's own ladies' maid and maybe three or four other maids, that sort of number who all stayed in the rooms immediately beneath where we're standing in the Gothic music saloon.
7: Fires, in, fires in the bedrooms. Um, turf
1: fires, of course, with the turf yes. from the bogs.
7: Yes. So they'd be puffing, no, they'd be puffing up and down. And they all worked like, very hard. Yes, yeah.
1: in those little rooms down there, into which we, of course, are boys were never allowed.
2: Oh, yes. Nor were the <laughs> footmen. <laughs> And in the 1950s, when Willie O'Connor, the butler, was in Castle, he was working for Brendan's father, the 6th Earl of Ross. The Earl of Ross then, yeah. uh, Michael, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, did you refer to him as... Oh, you'd never say Michael, of course. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, your lordship. Yeah. Yeah,
8: and your ladyship, or ladyship. The running of the house. Became part of your job, you see, and when, and uh, you know you'd always meet the people at the door. They would never answer the door, no mm. ma- matter how important the guests would be. Yes, yes. Yeah. One would always have to meet them and, and bring them in. Now,
2: would you kind of have to know them, or would you just say? Oh
8: well, you'd be instructed, and uh, you'd have you you'd know, be told who was coming. Yeah, all that type of thing. Yeah,
2: and then and and would you ask them to kind of wait there while I I, I or would you bring them straight in? Oh, the I bring, bring them straight, straight in into the drawing Yeah,
8: yes, yeah. Oh, yes, bring them in. Yeah. Or they might come and meet them in the hallway. Yes, that's
2: Yeah. Uh, would um, you organise then the food and the drinks and all that? Would you go down w- to the kitchen and? and well, well, no, that would be done with the cook and the uh,
8: yeah. lady of the house. Yeah, but but would you? Ask what they would like to eat. Oh, I would no, you I know. wouldn't ask them. Yeah, no, but I'd I'd have to know to know what to lay up, what the table to lay, I and know. the glass and the different wines. Yeah. Yes. Well, of course, they used to rear their own pheasants for shoots. that have private shoots, you see. Yeah. Yeah, that was always a busy time. Yeah. But of course, they could have maybe maybe a hundred pheasants, which was a lot in dim days they have a hundred pheasants around, they'd have to get short let them, they'd, they'd sell them off to the shops, Yeah. keep a certain amount for themselves. But they always had gamekeepers as well, you see, and he'd help bring them pheasants every other day.
2: Tady Wyndham Quinn, the 7th Earl of Dunraven, was the last in a long line of Dunravens to live in Adair Manor. Geraldine Wyndham-Quinn, the Countess of Dunraven, explains here the family history. The
9: Lord Dunraven, Lord Adair of the time, married a young lady called Caroline Wyndham from South Wales and Gloucestershire. She had two brothers, Both of one was killed in a hunting accident and the other one died. I actually don't know how, but... Um, her marriage to Lord Adair, whose father w- was, became the first Lord Dunraven. So in 1852, they took the earldom of Dunraven. He named it Dunraven after her father's ancestral seat in Wales because she became the heiress to 20,000 acres, under which eventually they found coal, which income built Adair Manor.
2: The Wyndham-Quin sisters, Caroline, now the Marchioness of Waterford, and Lady Melissa Brooke recalled their governesses, who taught them when they were children.
9: We had about four governesses in three years. We were awful. Well, the first governess we had was Charlie Wells' was aunt, great Charlie Well the trainer's great aunt. She was the she was the first, and then do you know, all the awful thing is I can't remember what yes, the other was. Yes, and were. the next one was called. Miss Hamilton Well there was a schoolhouse in the yard, in the stable yard and the bathroom was one end and the schoolroom was the other so if the governesses went to the bathroom we all got out the window <laughs> at the other end <laughs> This was in the stable yard which yeah. was a fairly place to be um, easy to get out the window and onto a pony and away.
2: The workers on Adair estate included domestic staff, gardeners, gillies, farm workers and gamekeepers. And Ellen O'Brien, who worked at the estate office for the Earl of Dunraven, looked after the staff wages and she was also involved in organising the shoot.
6: They had the, um, the shoot and um, they used to have great days on the shoot uh, they used to go to the boys' school and rally all the boys to go beating, beat out the pheasants out of the wood, and then all their family and friends would be invited in. The Dunray was inviting their family and friends to shoot.
10: Mike Ryan was one of those school boys. They'd have an organised shoot where the workmen and a few extras brought in for the day would line up at one end of a wood and start shouting and roaring and general commotion, making noise and march forwards and uh, guns lined up at the other end of the wood in the clearing. Then you had flankers going up the the side as well to stop any birds of a out that way. The, the wood was, We were there as caddies carrying the, the cartridge bags. My mother was gatekeeper, so we had a house for nothing. She actually got paid for doing that job, I think five shillings a week or something like that. She had to open gates.
2: Molly Wyndham Quinn, formerly the Marchioness of Salisbury, recalls happy memories at Adare Manor, especially the shoot.
9: Yes, and the shooting, they did the shooting, and then the pheasants and the partridges. And the great treat was the snipe, when there was the snipe shooting. They out, out to the bogs, you know, and got the snipe. And um, delicious they were to eat, yes. Of those, and then the woodcock, the woodcock season, when the cold weather started, and the woodcock came over because they come from Scandinavia no? and um, and then the first woodcock that was always a great treat, but it was always an exciting moment when uh, I remember the family rushing in saying "The woodcock are in, the woodcock are in. That was a great excitement.
2: <laughs> there were many gardeners on the domain, including Ted O'Connor and Jack Ryan.
6: But you had all those gardeners working there. They worked every day of the week except Sunday. They worked six days all day. And if they weren't housed in the village, they were housed on the estate.
0: We had all the box hedges to keep. And mostly it was all lawn. And there was eight less houses. So there was, there was a peach house. And there was a cucumber house, tomato houses. So there was... With grapes would have been grown. They would have been planted outside, and the grape would have been put in through the wall, where there was a there was a heating system. So there was, and uh, there was a house then for we used to grow. Sometimes we used to grow um, potatoes. We'd grow early potatoes in July for the that happened for Christmas. So there was, <laughs> but they would be grown in butter boxes. Was there a wall garden? Oh, a beautiful wall garden! But actually, when I went, the wall garden was totally overgrown. As there, there was no help there to keep that wall garden. I, I remember. I remember the beautiful uh, blackcurrant bushes, strawberries, all kinds of fruit were grown there. Figs would have been another one. All the beautiful apple hedges, with lovely apple hedges there.
10: He was the one that kept all the driveways uh, swept clean verged, the grass was always verged uh, and there was a lot of driveways there there was a pile of driveways there and that was his job from one end of the year until the other, keeping the driveways cleaned up and tidy and cutting a three foot verge into the meadow, to just showed three feet inside the foot, inside the, the edge, all the way around more closely mown the rest yeah. of it in was meadow, but it was beautiful looking
9: it had, um, for me anyway, it had a great charm, and it was a friendly house, and um, very, very happy uh, times I always had there with my family, and a um, lot of occupation, I uh, was very fond of horses. I did a lot of riding, and, uh, and a great deal of hunting that too, it's very loyal staff always, and uh, my grandparents kept everything going there was no um, reduction in the way way things were done you know there was always um, for dinner at night my grandfather always had the table always laid up with the family silver and candles on the table and all that Um, and um, some of the you know, the loyal staff was still there. Always butling, several footmen. But in the old days, of course, they were always in the family uniform. It was... Um, I remember that as all being... It was a very, was a very happy house, very happy place.
2: And did you all dress up for dinner? Was yeah, it was yes,
9: always had to change. Even when... Um, uh, the family were scattered in some way or way or something if it was just my grandfather and I he always changed every night for dinner and I always had to change for dinner even if we were alone
2: and the the head butler do you recall who he was? do, do you remember? I, I
9: remember him well, yes yes I do yeah, he was a very, very nice person they were never meant to, uh, the staff and butlers, footmen, were never meant to uh, smile or laugh. So our determination as children was always to make them somehow, to make them laugh. <laughs> uh, and sometimes we succeeded so well that they had to put the dishes down and leave the room to have a good laugh. <laughs> I Um, always remember that. There was always our teas.
2: (laughs) The butler at the manor had a very important role to play. He was Robert Leach, who served the Dunravens for over 50 years.
5: Well, it was very, very interesting because uh, it was a busy household. My duties as a dead manor. I used to call his lordship in the morning at half past seven every morning, taking his morning tea take him his morning shaving water, lay out his clothes that he wanted for the day, take away his evening clothes to be pressed, and then uh, we'd have staff breakfast at 8 o'clock, and the dining room breakfast would be at 9 o'clock.
2: Well, we've come to the end of this week's podcast upstairs-downstairs in an Irish country house. Over the years, we at Irish Life and Lore have created many collections relating to life in an Irish country house. And you can find all these collections on our website. That's www.irishlifeandlore.com I'm Maurice O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week.